When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is in. And find us and follow us on Twitter. A lot to get into with the NCAA and the transfer rule that has now got a green light. Some different perspectives to offer. My thoughts on it. Join us today at 466-377-6800-825-5865. And again, uh, that Twitter handle, at Schmidt underscore radio, at Damon Bar 2 rs You can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. And uh, we'll hear from uh, Nebraska offensive analyst Ron Brown. We'll have an extended sit-down with Coach Brown here at 425. In Hour 2, Gary Barnett with us, uh, former coach for Colorado and Northwestern. Brandon Vogel from Hale Varsity. And we'll dive into some NFL draft props from the pride of Chicago himself, Danny Burke. So that's all in front of us. So a quick update on Husker volleyball right now. The uh, Huskers are rolling. And, you know, they've, they've had 19 days off. Not ideal. But uh, Texas State, Texas State was pretty unique because they got a fall and a spring. They came in at 38-1. Nebraska took set one, 25-18. Lauren Stiverins with five kills on six swings. That is economical. And in uh, set two... Uh, you had uh, Nebraska handle uh, the, the the job again, 25-17. I have not been watching. I have been uh, busy uh, kind of catching up on Coach Hoiberg's press conference. We'll hear from the mayor in a moment and also the uh, the, the transfer rule. But, Damon, have you seen any of this? The, the dust is falling. It's, I don't know, a, a scene out of uh, one of the dreams in Game of Thrones with some snowfall. Uh, by the Iron Throne, where <laughs> if there's dust falling from the ceiling. I mean, a, a, an epic picture of the mess that has been the 2021 NCAA Volleyball Tournament. Uh, I've been catching a little uh, sneaks here and there while getting ready for the show, actually, in the studio. So I I got a close eye on it. They're about to come away with a win right here. What, what are we at right we're now? At, uh, I think they just pulled away with the win in the third set, 25-20. 25-20, so Nebraska moves on. We'll get uh, Brandon Vogel's take on things here in a little bit. So John Cook and company uh, love Omaha, no Omaha, win, and they win it all in Omaha. They'll uh, they'll forge forward, and uh, good for them. Congratulations to Nebraska Volleyball. So when we talk about uh, what is a new normal, a new reality with uh, the transfer situation 
it is uh, one of many things, right? You can label it different ways. And uh, a, a nice opinion piece there by Dan Wolken from USA Today. <laughs> uh, the transfer policy is messy. The transfer policy is frustrating for coaches. The transfer policy is fair for the student athletes. And my take is this. I, I have no problem with a kid wanting to transfer, and it's really been the, the, the five major sports that have been affected. You were always penalized. You'd, you'd lose a year if you leave, okay? And that was the case for football. That was the case for women and men's basketball. And uh, it was some of the other, and I'm not calling them minor sports, but some of the the other peripheral sports weren't weren't really affected. It was baseball, it was football, it was hockey, it was men's and women's basketball. They are the revenue drivers. And you think about Nebraska, football prints money. Basketball does really well. Volleyball makes money. And uh, Nebraska's fortunate because of history, tradition, and some good hires to, to have made a lot of money and you have a sport in volleyball that makes money and it's because they're at such an elite level and you got an amazing coach and team but a lot of the other peripheral sports you could just kind of go do your thing and as a coach you are putting your livelihood in the hands of 18 to 22 year olds and it comes down to control and you want control and to be able to say no or at least there to be some sort of consequence if you do leave because that could upset a position group. Let's just say running back or quarterback specifically. Or uh, with basketball, it's been more common because it's been a freedom of movement situation for years. When you look at AAU, you got team hopping that goes on. Go all the way back to maybe your 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 kids or your family or your brother or somebody you know that that has a son or daughter that jumps a team. Not criticizing that that happens. That's not how we've kind of done things in our household. Uh, If you want a position and you want to play ball and you're not where you want to be, uh, work harder, get better, has been my take. And and that's that's just me. I'm a little old school. And yes, uh, I will yell at you if you're on my lawn. But there are instances where a coach will leave and uh, they'll jump, right? And they'll go get a bigger payday. They'll move up to a Power 5 league versus a group of five. And the paycheck's better. The pressure's greater. And it, it's a mess for football. But basketball has is used to this because they, they've adopted and adapted to it and they've been doing it for years. And it all kind of started with the one and done where you'd go get a kid and you'd have a player for a year and then they'd go off to the NBA. And that's how it shook out. You always had to kind of keep in mind, all right, we got to keep after that uh, elite level talent to come in and and perform for us because we've only got this current dude who can get on his get on we can get on his back Carmelo Anthony right uh, comes to my mind the one and done where he led Syracuse to a title and would have been picked number one overall had it not been the LeBron draft so basketball has been able to roll with the punches basketball also has a, a roster situation where it's much much fewer to deal with. Uh, with football, you got 125 guys, 150 guys, in some instances, 180 guys. 
for for a roster. So it, it's a bigger headache for football. It's been pretty prominent with what you see in the quarterback situations. The the grad transfer was Russell Wilson, the, the guy that comes to my mind that kind of started this domino effect where he left NC State and then went to Wisconsin. And all Russell needed was some help. And Wisconsin was a was a Rose Bowl team and a Big Ten championship team that season back in 2000. Uh, 11. Uh, and then you, you've seen it happen. Look at Fields, right? I mean, Fields was a guy that transferred up to Ohio State. Joe Burrow's a guy that transferred down to LSU. And the quarterback spot has been kind of the catalyst, but you're seeing it more and more. And with some other positions, uh, not just quarterback, uh, look, the lines of scrimmage, I don't think you're as, as likely to see guys on the offensive or defensive line transfer, even Honestly, some of the some of the linebacker spots, just because it's going to take some time to get acclimated and up to speed to, to college football, the weight and strength and conditioning, getting into the playbook, all of that. Some of the skill spots, though, I mean, you just have guys that that were really highly talented, able to get on the field at an early age in high school and, and just go kill it because they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. And sometimes that doesn't translate to college. And you're seeing some skilled guys beyond quarterback. If they're buried on the depth chart, they're not going to they're not going to grind away. They're going to go leave and they're going to say, OK, uh, my my spot is log jammed with talent and I'm going to do what's best for me. And I'm going to go find a school where, listen, I know my talent level. I know my determination. I'm going to go find a spot and I'm going to go play versus split time because my goal is to get to the league. And you look at Trey Sermon, great career at Oklahoma. And as a, as a grad transfer, Trey said, I'm out, and I'm going to Ohio State. And he really helped carry Ohio State to a championship game when you look at the, the rushing yards against Northwestern and against Clemson. Ohio State, very fortunate to get him. Not that they didn't have good backs, but he was clearly better and proven. So there's different instances. You look at a lot of the kids that have left Nebraska here in the last couple, three years, and an excellent story on attrition by Brandon Vogel. Uh, in uh, one of the most recent Hale Varsity issues. And guys who've left Nebraska, we just haven't seen uh, do much at their other spots. Not that they can't, not that they won't, but in, in a lot of instances, uh, there's one dude that went down to Florida State that was, that was Francois, the linebacker. Uh, he's a guy that I think was dealing with some some health issues in his family, wanted to be closer to home. And then, and then COVID blew the roof off this whole thing because guys were so far away from home and they weren't playing or it was kind of a choppy season or there's no crowd. Whatever the instance, there was some adversity. They were a little homesick. They just said, all right, I'm going to use this free year and go do it. It's going to be a nightmare for college football. You'll have to make that decision where you want to go roster management-wise. Do you spend time in the portal recruiting? Yes is the answer. Do you spend time getting the high school guys? And you got to really be right about the high school guys you bring in that understand it might take a couple of years of development. You might not get as many touches. You're going to spend more time touching the ball on the practice field than on game day Saturday. Basketball is adapted to it really well. Let's hear from Fred Hoiberg a little bit as uh, you have a Hoiberg kind of weigh in. We'll start here with uh, the transfer rule. Uh, in college 
athletics here that it's been given the thumbs up here basketball more at ease with it than football here's Hoiberg on the rule change yeah it, it won't change our approach as far as how we recruit uh, you know obviously you've seen in the couple of years that we've been here that we've taken players uh, from all different areas as far as freshmen uh, junior college players uh, international players and transfers so you know you, you just with I think there's 1400 in the portal right now 13 or 1400 of them and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of them have very talented, unique uh, skill sets and, and, and very good players. So, you know, we're, we're evaluating that constantly, as all coaches and all programs do, on how you can add uh, talent, how you can get your, your team better. And, you know, as far as the rule change, I, I think it's good. I think it'll give some consistency now for the transfers that are moving on that you have the ability to play right away on the one-time transfer exception. The legislation's been on the table the last couple of years, and I think now it will add some consistency uh, to the transfers that are leaving their program. So I think it's a good change. Very high level of comfort, more on that level of comfort, because that's how Fred came in, kicked butt, took names at Iowa State. He got transfers, and they won, and they won big. And that's going to help your program standing. That's going to make your program more appealing, and you're going to be able to go get some high school kids where you're not always just shopping for the the hired gun, so to speak, for a year. And then it's, it's a constant chase. You can you can balance out in, in basketball and, and you can do that in football. But again, in with so many guys, it's the sheer number and you could have a, a number of guys bolt in basketball as well. I mean, you're seeing that with some of the coaching changes now. You're seeing guys jump ship because their head coach took off. And you've seen programs that have been a little bit unstable. And I'm pointing to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's had a lot of guys go a lot of different spots. And honestly, you're seeing other guys just say, okay, um, I didn't get the time I wanted and I'm going to go uh, find a greener pasture. That's worked well for Nebraska during their last NCAA tournament run where you had a guy like Teran Petaway average about three points a game at Tech, comes to Nebraska and goes off. Walt Pitchford, a guy that was seeing a lot of time at Florida in an NCAA tournament team, transfers to Nebraska. Walt was such a nice stretch. Again, both those guys keying the the, the no-sit Sunday run to the NCAA tournament. More, for, more from Hoiberg here on that comfort level. You know, I can only comment on, on what we deal with with, with our sport. Uh, you know, it, it, again, it's something where you've seen numbers uh, steadily climb with, of, as far as players going into the transfer portal. And, you know, with all the turnover you have on your roster to try to bring somebody in to fill a need or, you know, be a player that can get you over the hump, uh, you know, be a guy that can come in and, uh, you know, be a guy you can build a program around. There's just so many of them. And the fact that the numbers uh, have gone up and you see pretty much every school across the country now that are adding transfers to their rosters, it's it's just, again, it, you, you're probably right. The fact that it's been happening now for the past several years, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be that big of an adjustment for our sport. Huge adjustment for football, and they've had to deal with it clearly uh, during the free pass COVID year, and it's now a long-term reality for football. They're not keen on it. It's tough to swallow for football, basketball. It's old hat. They're dealing with it. They're excited about it. They've thrived with it, quite honestly. Uh, let's get Fred's take here. Do we have time here on Wiltshire? 
Can we squeeze in uh, the guard that's coming in from Xavier? Here's Fred on a couple of the new additions. We're really excited about both players that we uh, signed yesterday. Uh, I'll start with CJ, a guy that had really good quality minutes when he got the opportunity at Xavier this last season. Uh, You know, the thing that stands out about CJ's is perimeter shooting. And, you know, that's certainly an area where we need to improve, we need to get better, and he'll immediately help us in that area as well as the other guys that we signed in the fall. Uh, So I'm excited about that aspect of our team, uh, hopefully being a more consistent uh, three-point shooting group and obviously from the free-throw line where we need to improve in a big way. Uh, But he's not just a shooter. He's got a good, strong body, uh, should have versatility on the defensive end, a guy that can put the ball on the floor, uh, and and as I said, a good, strong body to finish in the paint. Uh, So I think we're getting a very complete player in uh, in C.J. Wiltshire. C.J.'s nice. Big addition for him. Uh, It's officially official. Uh, Oleg is uh, a big dude as well that can stroke, handle the ball a bit, and uh, work that arc as well as do some damage in the paint. More football thoughts. Uh, Nebraska offensive analyst Ron Brown. Next, we'll catch up with Coach Brown here the, the rest of this hour. Coach Barnett, next hour, it's Hale Varsity on a Thursday. And we're back. Fellas, I think we could listen to the radio. On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We welcome in Offensive analyst uh, with Nebraska, we say hi to Ron Brown. Coach, what's new? How are you? Schmitty, how are you, buddy? Spring is in the air, baby. It is, and <laughs> this time of year's got to make you smile with, uh, well, there's actually a spring football this year. Yeah, it, it'll be great. It'll be good. It's, uh, it's some definitions. It's so hard to even put a put a, 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 a tent over this last year's circus of uh the pandemic and the, just the difficulties of uh, uh, of knowing what you could do, what you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Hats off to all the people in um, in the authorities uh, regarding sports and uh, tournaments and games and championships because it it had to be just a logistical nightmare to to you know to even kick things off the ground. I watched the NCAA basketball schmitty and. I really enjoyed it. I personally really enjoyed it. I've, I've, and I'm really pleased that a lot of, 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 you know, that sports has been able to continue on and what took place in college football last year and in midstream as well. But, boy, it was tough. I'd, but my hat's off to the people who put a lot of work into it to see it, uh, to see it through. Now, Coach, you probably had UCLA in your final four, didn't you? <laughs> uh, Boy, that you know that sounds like a, when I was a kid because uh, when I was a kid that was always the case. I mean, <laughs> no I mean, brainer. <laughs> no brainer. They won. They were they were they were ripping off national championships left and right back then. But I was excited about their team yeah. this year to go from first four to to uh, to where they went. Final four was uh, really special. Oh, they were they were a party to watch. Mm, no, no doubt. Uh, Want to switch gears and, and spend a little bit of time. So, what what have you been up to, and, and how have you been keeping busy with your with your analyst role? Kind of give us a, a look into to what you're doing if you if you feel good about doing that, and you know, uh, I'm anxious to, to hear how you've been spending your days. I love I love football, and you know, the Lord has uh, has uh, you know ever since I was a little boy, Schmitty, uh, since I can remember, five years old, you know, I. 
I, I love I've loved football. I, I would go out and play football in the neighborhood, out on a playground with the guys. I would go play by myself, you know, and toss the ball to myself. I watched every college football game imaginable as a child. My dad and I we watched the history of college football, basically all the way from the sixties all the way through. I was adopted by him. For some reason he loved football and for some reason God wired me up for football. I get the coach for all these years and now I serve in a way where where guys that 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 I coached Scott Frost, Matt Davidson, Ryan Held, um, Greg Austin, you all these guys I recruited or coached or what have you. Uh, now I get to, uh, to serve these guys. So God has been really, really um, good to me in that way, and it's, it's a very special blessing. So yeah, I'm loving what I'm doing, bro. Ron Brown's with us, uh, senior offensive analyst with us uh, for Nebraska Alvar City Radio. Coach, the uh, NCAA has moved forward with the uh, one-time transfer rule. It's been adopted, and uh, it's not a a ton different than what colleges uh, for basketball and football had gone through with kind of a free year with COVID, but now there is no no penalty for transferring. Every student-athlete's allowed a a free transfer year without losing a year of, of eligibility. What's the reaction to that? I know there's positives, and I know there's some negatives, uh, out there um, in in the coaching circles as well as uh, with uh, with some of the parents. You know, Schmitty, I think it makes um, recruiting even more challenging than it's always been. You know, um, uh, and of course, every college football coach has had to recruit. And you're when you're recruiting, you're you're making a long term investment. Everybody is. I mean, the parents. The student athletes, the high school coaches of the, of those student athletes, the college coaches who are recruiting them, whichever decision you make uh, via signing date to what school you attend, that's a long term investment. Uh, that's always been a long term investment, and um, and and in, in a sense, you know, it's like friendship. It's like marriage. It's like, you know. Um, you know, a selection of a job. We know that they don't always last. But I think you go in with the mindset, Schmitty, that this is my school, this is where it happens, and um, this is what I'm invested to. Uh, I think to, to on the side of the kid, the, the fact that he can decide to leave when he wants to, um, it appears to be advantageous for him. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not always a, a good thing for him. Uh, some of the greatest stories, in, not only in sports, but in life, are people who hang in there and, and go through adversity. They're not getting what they want initially, but they see it through. And it's been, it's been a, a, a remarkable trait of our country over the years. But we see less and less and less of that, Schmitty. And I've voiced it to you before. Um, I, I, I personally don't really like the easy get out of, I want to go somewhere else because the grass is greener. Are there times when it is a good thing for a student athlete to transfer? Yes, there, there is. And, you know, in their defense, coaches kind of hop around and go from here to there to there, and they transfer. And so I can understand why um, 
these men who come into you to these student athletes' homes in front of their parents, and I was one of those men for many, many years. Uh, you're sitting in a home and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Your son is my son for the next four or five years, and 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 beyond." And and now that coach decides to leave and go somewhere else because the grass is greener for him. Uh, that's that's a hard thing on the student athlete. So yes, there's some give and take and and advantages and disadvantages, some yay and nays in all of this. But generally speaking, Schmidt, I I, I I I keep looking when a, when a player comes to me and says, Coach Brown. Um, you know, I want to transfer for this reason or that reason. And and it's not about graduation. It's just about, well, I'm not happy with my playing time where I'm on the depth chart. I always point him to the statue out on the north end there. And I say, you see that young man and that statue standing next to Coach Osborne? That guy's name was Brooke Berenger. This is the 25th year, Schmitty, since Brooke Berenger has, has died uh, in the plane crash, the tragic plane crash where we lost him. I, I happened to recruit Brooke and, and be a part of the coaching staff that was around him, and we saw what he represented in, a, in the midst of difficult times, and he didn't transfer. He stayed at it, and the story is, uh, is still very powerful 25 years later. So anyhow, uh, that's kind of how I feel about it, Schmitty. I don't give a you know maybe it's not a definitive answer that you wanted but but it is just expressing my feelings about it all I do in the long haul believe in um, staying stick seeing it through and um, and and as a as a maybe as a last resort the transfer and and therefore I I don't necessarily really like the fact that lots of kids. Thousands and thousands of kids will be on that transfer portal where they're thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else all the time. You know, the, the, the process of, of improving and the jump from high school to college is, is not easy. And there's good ball players everywhere. And then there's the academic side. And then there's being away from home. I mean, there's a lot of challenges and, and hurdles. And, it's you know, it's part of growing up. And I'm interested you know, what, what amount of time and energy is now going to have to be devoted by, by peers and, and college coaches to, to re-recruit kids because kids are used to having it now. I was a teenager at one point, and, you know, I thought I, I needed it now versus having to kind of grind your way up. And it always is, is really rewarding when you grind your way up and, and achieve and accomplish something. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the mindset or the thought process when you're a teenager. No, it isn't, and uh, we're making it uh, much easier all the time for young men, and the ages are getting younger, where as soon as the going gets tough, that's a good avenue for me to go seek uh, something somewhere else. And, you know, I I can't say that I've studied all the transfers, Mm -hmm. Schmitty, and what's happened to them, but, you know, the few that I've tracked – 90% 90% of them end up in the same or the worse, a worse situation than they were when they, before they left in their transfer. Um, and if it's a problem that that young man has, let's say that there, therein lies a problem that he, that he has and it, it's not going over well with the coaching staff. There's a level of discipline and he decides, well, I don't like the discipline. I'm going to go somewhere else where I'll get treated better. 
you oftentimes, particularly in those situations, see that young man taking the same problem to the other school. Mm -hmm. And that's why you, you know, even as a, there's two sides of this. One is the, there's the transfer himself, but then there's the coaching staff that's receiving a transfer. What are you getting? Who are you getting? Everybody better do their research. Because if a, if a young man is leaving one place because he's disgruntled about this, that, and the other, um, is he going to be just as disgruntled about this, that, and the other when he comes to this place? Because, quite frankly, things aren't really that much different from one school to the next, to be honest with you. There's going to be competition. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be adversity. Uh, there's going to be good and bad. And you're going to have to learn how to be a circumstance-free person rather than a circumstance-based person. And what I mean by that, Schmitty, is that there are, there are young men that I've seen over the years who every, every time the circumstances change, they're up and down like a yo-yo everywhere. But then there's, there's, there's few young men that I've seen who, have, who, are, who are able to withstand any kind of pressure, difficulty, adversity, success, you name it, they seem to go through it with flying colors. Um, and they're not people that don't get affected by things, but they're people that have a, a tremendous amount of discipline and are able to look past and through things and see the other side. And that's what we're trying to get young men to do, um, learn how to uh, be circumstance-free to push through hardships and great times mm. to see the end result. It's Ron Brown with us on Hale Varsity Radio, a senior offensive analyst for Nebraska football coach. Going to hang with us here for the next segment. Uh, we'll dive into some thoughts on the offense with Coach Brown. And uh, you know what? Good takes there on the transfer situation. College football coaches are now going to have to deal with uh, just uh, to give you an update here when it comes to the one-time transfer rule that's now in place. You have football players going to have to decide by May 1st in order to be immediately eligible this year because of COVID and things being pushed back July 1st. July 1st is that deadline. We'll have more with Coach Ron Brown, Gary Barnett coming up. Brandon Vogel, Thursday here on Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, senior offensive analyst in Nebraska football. Coach, uh, a thought here on, on the spring that's been ongoing. It's been Wonderful to have, you know, in-person access. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for an open practice uh, on Saturday and then, you know, a spring game coming up here in May. As, as you've had a chance to, to view it, it sounds like things have gone pretty well uh, this spring here, specifically with the offensive side of the ball. Well, I think that there's a, a lot of growth, you know, Schmidt. We knew we were going to grow. We knew we needed some time to um, build a foundation and, you know, the thing about building a foundation, Schmitty, on, on, on both sides of the ball uh, is that you often, as, and when you're building a tall building, uh, you have to dig down before you dig up. And you have to dig a deep foundation if you want a tall building. Um, and so you don't really, people don't really see what's going, going on underneath the ground. You know, they just, people want to see something that's emerging and erecting very high, um, Sometimes they want the meat before it's cooked, mm-hmm. and and so you you've got to allow 
you've got to allow for building and foundation. And we're starting to see that now. We're, we're starting to see these young players uh, doing things consistently and, and the toughness and the mental toughness and the physical toughness and, and uh, the, the inner drive and the outer drive and all those kinds of things. We're starting to see that shaping up in the program. And so that's the beauty of spring ball, particularly this year's spring ball, being able to finally get out there and, and have, uh, have these kinds of practices and yes, we have seen improvement. We finished off the season offensively. You mentioned the offense. You know, we finished off by and large pretty well in that Rutgers game. And, you know, we've often talked about that last game of your season being kind of the first game of your next season. You know, there's a momentum, particularly when you have young players, when you haven't graduated a whole lot of players. We have a lot of players who played in that Rutgers game who are who are with us now. And uh, some of those younger players got a chance to play quite a bit in that game and, and do a great job. I'm thinking of, for example, Turner Cochran. Mm-hmm. Co- Cochran. Turner was, uh, was a big factor in that Rutgers game as a, as a freshman. Hadn't played a whole lot up until that point. Um, very talented young man. And, and you see it continuing on here through spring ball. A lot of momentum. So, and he's just one of many. Coach, it, it feels like a bit of a makeover as well, just from a size standpoint. Uh, big kids on the offensive line, a lot of running backs that uh, Coach Held's obviously analyzing and, and coaching up. And then the, the wide receivers have all been pretty uh, pretty complimentary, complimentary of, of Adrian and the other quarterbacks on top of the fact that there's some bigger body wide receivers. And uh, you coached wideouts for a long time, and you had uh, – all uh, shapes and sizes of wideouts from the itty bitty committee to to Johnny to Johnny Mitchell. So uh, it feels like that uh, the the chemistry is pretty high between the quarterbacks and wide receivers right now. Yeah, it is, and I think sometimes we make a, an enormous deal about uh, size and 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 maybe the out, outer dimension, speed, and so forth. Now, they're important. Don't get me wrong. We want fast guys. We want large guys, powerful guys. But uh, the itty-bitty committee, for example, I, I remember guys like Corey Dixon and Reggie Ball and Abdul Muhammad, uh, you know, the, the, that group, Brennan Holbein, John Bedford, those guys were were not the biggest receivers, um, but they were they were uh, very quick and very tough and tenacious. And I, and I think that that's really what we're looking at here. Whatever we have – uh, in terms of a size and talent, it's about maximization. It's about physical toughness, mental toughness. It's about um, being able to um, play ferociously no matter who you are. It's about backup players coming in and having depth because whether they're walk-ons or players who had not necessarily maybe uh, maybe they weren't highly recruited guys, they weren't three, four, five-star kind of kids, but they come in here and they develop. You know, we used to get uh, tons of guys who were two-star kids, you know, walk-on level type players, and they walked out of this program as four-star kids mm. because of development. So all those kinds of things shaping in a program have to be going. Yes, you have to recruit well, but you have to develop well. And uh, and you have to you know to build layers of players so that there's not much of a drop off between a third team player and a first team player. So all, all those kinds of things, I think Schmidt are really happening. And I've been here. This is my fifth decade now in <laughs> Nebraska football. So I've kind of seen thousands of kids come through here. Many coaches come through through here. I've seen all kinds of things: recruits, 
uh, scholarship kids, five-star kids, walk-on kids. Uh, I've seen the bust, and I've seen the boomers. So it's it's been fun to to really get a shape. And and again, I'm not God, so I don't know for sure what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. But I but 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 I've been around long enough, and and I I'm hoping hope, hopefully. Uh, being able to really believe what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is that there's definitely development and we're moving in a good direction. Coach uh, Ron Brown with us, uh, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, we'll let you go on this, but just to finish on that development, that takes some time, fair to say. You can get guys that can come in and play as a freshman. Tommy Frazier comes to mind. Grant Wistrom comes to mind. But that's not always the, the norm, correct? I mean, it takes some guys mm-hmm. – different times, different levels before they pop. No, it's absolutely right. And, and uh, just the word itself tells you that. It, it, development is, is a process. And, you know, I think the big thing, Schmitty, is um, it, it's really hard for people to be patient, um, particularly when our fans, for example, have been able to see national championships. They've been able to witness it and so forth. But again, I go back to personal experience because of of my five decades here. I remember how low we felt after losing seven straight bowl games from 1987 all the way through 1993. We lost seven straight bowl games. Some of those bowl games were ugly. They they were they were we were bombed out of out of uh, out of the off the out of the stadium. I mean it just didn't look good at all. And um, in 1993 it was a close one. 1992 actually was a closer game in in the Orange Bowl to Florida State. And then 93 was that really close game where we nearly won the national championship in 93. And then the string that we got in terms of national championships and national championship games. It didn't happen overnight. It it was difficult. There were times when you and I have talked about, you know, where we all wondered where we were going to get fired along the way during those difficult times. So, yeah, there is something about a development that takes a while, and you have to stay with it. Telling other people or convincing other people to be patient sometimes seems like a – a, 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 it's a vain thing at times because it feels like people, are just, they just want to see the results. They don't really care about the process. Not until you raise your own children, Schmitty, do you start to realize that I think I appreciate development. I think I appreciate the process because you see in your own children when you're raising them that it doesn't just happen overnight. And when you're personally involved like I have been and our coaches uh, for years and years, uh, you begin to see that, yes, it takes a while. But boy, is it rewarding when it does happen. And and when it does kick in, the momentum uh, is pretty amazing and impressive. Ron Brown with his coach. We'll see you on Saturday. Thanks for the time today. You bet, Smitty. Thanks for having me. God bless, man. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good to hear from Ron Brown, uh, senior offensive analyst in Nebraska football. Gary Barnett uh, next hour, 10 minutes away. Brandon Vogel, spring football, volleyball. Danny Burke, some NFL draft props. And uh, get the interviews you want on demand. ESPNLincoln.com. 
or the uh, the Twitter feed at ESPN Lincoln. Uh, Damon Barr will have that posted up if he doesn't already. So this is making me a little bit concerned because I'm a, a jeans slash pants snob, and I uh, do not have the uh, the the gut to pull off skinny jeans, but. The fashion trend has dictated more tapered looks. That's how it's gone for about 10 years. Damon, do you still have a pair of baggy jeans? Did you ever have a baggy jean phase? I can't say I ever went through a baggy jean phase. You're not, you're not old enough to, to have <laughs> been uh, tackled by Tommy Hilfiger. Exactly, yeah. And I, I've always been more of the sweatpants kind of guy anyway, so that's kind of where I lie on the whole I get whole piled thing. on by my family because I, I have a couple pair of joggers, right? And they both, wife and son, shake their head and say, no, you can't pull it <laughs> off, you loser. Well, jeans say a lot about you. Uh, this was posted on Rolling Stone. So acid, acid wash jeans say that you drink Mountain Dew and you like meth. Baggy jeans tell people that you sell meth. Skinny jeans... You word the you use the word sustainable a lot. <laughs> I don't use sustainable that often. You wear you wear Daisy Dukes. You have a lot of dates. We'll just leave it there. And the best gene to talk about, Gene Hackman. I second that motion. So, the the trend is shifting apparently. Problem is, I, I don't throw anything away. I, I still have baggy jeans from 20 years ago, but I cannot fit in them any longer. Or I could, but it would hurt. So, next hour, Gary Barnett will get his take on transfers. We'll talk spring football progress. Uh, he did it with two programs. And uh, also, he may weigh in on, on where the Pac-12 can kind of shape up moving forward. Also, some NFL draft thoughts. There's so much wide receiver and skill position talent in this NFL draft. you got the Bama kids. You've got the LSU choices, a few offensive tackles. Northwestern's going to have a couple of guys go in the first round. Their left tackle and cornerback. Uh, where does Fields end up? And uh, who do you like uh, that your team could could get? Not all in on Cincinnati, but I, I – I, Kind of rude for them because Zach Taylor's running the show and I like Joe Burrow a ton. So what what do they do with their pick? Does Atlanta make the move and go get Pitts, who's just awesome to watch? Tight end out of Florida. Uh, Wilson, is the Big Apple going to be uh, where dreams come true? Or another, well, misstep by the Jets and what can Urban do down in Jayville with Trevor Lawrence once that's official. Uh, find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. At Damon Barr, that's two R's. Send an email, chris at hailvarsity.com. And also, uh, some thoughts here on uh, what's happening in Vegas with uh, Major League Baseball. That uh, from Danny Burke later next hour. Hour two, Gary Barnett next, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Thanks for hanging out. Hour two at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. Uh, we welcome in the coach from Northwestern in Colorado. We say hi to Gary Barnett to kick us off. Coach, how we doing? Hey, Chris. You know what the best day in a kid's life is? Christmas. Yeah. You know what the best day in a guy my age's life is? Demo day Ooh. on the golf course. So you're I'm at-, at the largest demo day in the United States at Desert Mountain here, and it's like a kid in a candy store. So how much better can that get? Hey, that sounds awesome. We had our old buddy uh, Mike Shuart in. Uh, Shuey always does a golf hit with us on Wednesdays out at Wilderness, and, and they do their demo days on Friday, and I've uh, been a part of those, and... It's it's really cool, and you're at Desert Mountain right now, where it's I'm going to guess eighty nine, you at ninety yet? No, it's cool. It's eighty four today. It's perfect. <laughs> but you're demoing up. So are you? Are you looking at driver? Are you doing putter? Where, where are you uh, zeroing in? I, I, no, I I bought my the best putter I could buy. I've got the best driver I can buy. I uh, I need some iron to get the ball up a little bit more, so that's what I'm looking at today. Some irons and maybe just maybe a hybrid. So we'll see. I'm a huge fan of the hybrid. I love the hybrid. It uh, bails me out. It sounds so good about every twelfth swing, and uh, you know it, I'm, I'm happy. So I need a picture of, of your hall. Now, do you have uh, kind of a, a Hall of Fame of, of clubs you've retired? As in, okay, you're not doing it for me anymore. I'm going to go buy X, Y, and Z at this demo day, and you'll just off to the garage have the retired clubs? You know what I do is I trade them in. So <laughs> I, that way it doesn't look like I'm acquiring clubs in the closet in the house. So and when I get tired of a set, I just go trade it in, and it's, you know, you feel like you got some value to it. You know, you're going to get. Two hundred dollars worth on a trade in with your club, so I you know I don't want too many sitting around. So. No, that that's just clutter. What what are you what are you hitting now? Yeah, I'm hitting Callaway Epic Forged Irons. I've got a ping putter. I got Titleist wedges. I've got a Titleist uh, driver and Titleist three wood, three and a half wood. And I just need to hit the ball higher, so I'm going to have to look at those different irons. Well, I'm I'm excited for you. You'll find uh, you'll find the equipment today, I'm sure. Gary Barnett out at Demo Day, of <laughs> Varsity Radio, Coach uh, NCAA news. It's official here with the transfer rule, and uh, you have had a chance to to coach a couple of major programs and, and be an assistant at, at another and. You uh, now look at college football as, you know, a coach that's retired and it, things have changed. How do you view this moving forward? And it's interesting with basketball and college basketball has been dealing with this and adapting quite a bit longer, uh, or at least they've they've used it to their advantage uh, a little bit longer with, you know, kind of the AAU slash one and done setup they, they've had to navigate there and there's only x number of guys on their roster 
compared to what you see with a football team and a roster and how you try and manage that. Uh, what's your reaction today? Well, it's just, it's just evolving. You know, it's just a matter of time, I think, before this happened. Um, you know, there's just more and more freedoms and options for student-athletes now. Uh, you know, those of us who operated and grew up in an older school mentality where um, you pick a school and that's where you go and the coaches wouldn't let you transfer because they knew eventually you'd play and you'd be happy. It's just that you're in a tough particular time of your life. Well, it, it's like uh, now you don't have to experience those tough times. You can just, you know, pack your bags and leave and go somewhere else, which you know, it's going to be a great experience for these kids to do it because they're going to find it's not greener. A lot of these kids are going to find it's not that much greener wherever they want to go. But it, at least they have the freedom to do it. And, and uh, you know, I'm not opposed to that. But I do think that there were a lot of values that were available to kids um, when they had, were made to stick it out. So, you know, it's just evolution, I think. Take me through the, the, the stick it out message and, and juggling that with a kid you know. And I look at running back, right? Because running back is is key. You need to run the football to win. Passing is, is what a lot of offenses do. But uh, Big Ten, you got to run the ball. With with that, I'm, I'm interested here juggling that stick it out mentality and then also the timeline, however long it is to get a kid developed where he is ready and you're not throwing him before he is ready to, to perform and, and he can't do what he needs to do. Well, that's sticky. The last one's sticky because he thinks he's ready before you think he's ready. And there's got to be just a tremendous element of trust between the two and usually also between the player and his parents and you. So that's always tricky. And it's, like I said, everybody's got a different viewpoint of when that player is ready. You know, the running back spot, the perfect example for us would have been Darnell Autry. And I know it's been a while since he's played, and maybe things are a little bit different. But, you know, Darnell, um, Darnell Rush, he, he started the last game of the year as a freshman for us. He rushed for 175 yards against Penn State. Okay, Spring, Christmas break comes around. He doesn't come back to school. He says he's transferring. So um, his, his dad, his dad says, no, he says, you're, you're not transferring. And so he comes back. So we go through, I said, come back, see, if, you know, go through spring ball. And if you don't like it, well, he goes through spring ball. And all of a sudden I get told that he's not coming back. He took his TV home. He's gone home for the summer. So once again, his dad stepped in and said, you know, you're going to stick it out. It's the best thing for you. So he sticks it out, comes back, the player's calling, comes back, becomes a first-team All-American two years in a row, and becomes a great player and an icon for the university and for our football program. So here's a kid who was just immature, and uh, there was greener grass somewhere, uh, and just, you know, he got in his crawly one to leave, and there isn't any question that, by him staying, he achieved what very few people ever achieve. And achieve, and so that's a perfect example of how that thing works. How is the relationship with you and him with this 
I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. You know, thankfully there was a parent in the picture on top of his peers and, and your message to him. But did it wear you out having to re-recruit him? Oh, sure. It does. And, and there are guys you get to the point and we go, look, he's made up his mind. Let's don't, don't, let's don't mess around with it. But, you know, you just it's part of the job. It's what you do. And then, you know, with Darnell, he was – he would decide to come out early. Well, we ran his numbers through the NFL, and they said, here's what you're going to be. You're going to be a, a second, or late second, early third-round draft choice. He goes, but I'm talking to an agent that's telling me that's not true, that they can get me faster, et cetera. So then he, it all comes down to who you choose to listen to, Chris. And uh, there was a point where he was listening to me, and then he got to a point where he's listening to somebody else. And it's who you choose to listen to that – that really dictates uh, a lot of where you go in life. Did, are you able to have a conversation or do you even step in to have a conversation with that agent or somebody in his ear? Do you, do you take that step as a coach? No, not necessarily. Um, you know, but pretty much, you know, it's with the parents and the mm-hmm. kid. Sure. And um, all we do is all we can do is educate him about what he can do and what he can't do with an agent, you know. And you just, you know, if he's gone too far, if he's already signed with him, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. But if he hasn't, you know, and you never really know. It's all all that's done so much undercover, and you don't really ever know. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. He is out at Demo Day in uh, Desert Mountain. He's checking out some new irons. And uh, maybe a hybrid. He's talking some college football and transfer rule with his coach. What were, depending on what you had coming back or how old or young your team was, I'm sure kind of dictated where your goals and, and benchmarks were for the spring. But uh, as a whole, what did spring ball mean to you? And were you cautious about the good you saw, or were you just pretty much always optimistic about? some of the growth you'd see during the spring in, in that potential translation to, to what you'd have coming up in fall? Well, I always went in the spring and it's saying this, look, no matter what happens, however we're, we are at the end of the spring defensively, it's probably the way we're going to be in the fall. Offensively, there's, you can finish the spring and you, you can make a lot of uh, improvement between the end of spring football and the time you play your first game on offense. Where defensively, you know, you can add a new player here and there, but you're usually who you are at the end of the spring. Offensively, though, you always, I, didn't, I wasn't too concerned if offense didn't make the kind of progress that people wanted or, or expected because I knew that there was so much to be gained and, and picked up in the offseason, uh, in the summer, and going into fall camp. Um, it was my favorite time of the year because you could experiment with players, you could experiment with schemes. You know, there wasn't any, they didn't have to, uh, you know, we didn't have to play a game, we didn't have to get ready, there was less pressure on the kids. You know, most of them were, were just, they just wanted to find a place to play and a spot, so they were pretty eager. Now, not so much with the older guys. The older guys, they, they'd had enough, but uh, the younger guys were always eager to, to find a place on that team for them. Gary Barnett's with us on Hale Varsity Radio talking some spring football. Coach, how did you go about, what type of communication did you have uh, when it came to 
just setting up your your offense and and improving a passing game and when it comes to the blueprint for for downfield passing that's been a topic of discussion here at Nebraska it sounds like things are better bigger and faster wideouts to to get open it sounds like Adrian's having a good spring we'll get to watch an open practice on Saturday we're excited about that but overall uh, the value and importance of of downfield attack and that's something that Nebraska's not really had for a couple of seasons since a guy like Stanley Morgan was here. Well, first of all, you, you, during January, February, you're doing research and development. You're looking at every stat that you have. You're making decisions about how and why you didn't do as well as you, you did. You look at um, what you think you might want to do. You go visit places. You talk to other coaches. You take, a, for example, a down-the-field team that you really want to emulate. You go there, send your coaches there, or you exchange information. So you gather all this information, and then you, you put it in a plan as to how to develop it over spring football. And so these guys go into the very first day of spring knowing just what they want it to look like at the end of spring practice, and that's how they plot all their practices and drills, et cetera, to get better at, at these at these particular areas that they've identified that need to get better. So there's always a plan. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I, I don't know what it is for Nebraska or for Scott, but they, trust me, they have a plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're working on it as best they can. And they can experiment. That's the good thing about spring. You don't have to have it all ready at the end of spring. And so you can try a few things. And uh, that's what they're in the process of doing. Coach, uh, a thought here as you've looked at offenses here about a minute and a half. What uh, what offense would you emulate today? What offense do you love? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, I want to run the football. Mm-hmm. I want to play with tight ends. Um, I want uh, to be able to play action, and I want to be able to run run pass options with a quarterback that's mobile. So whatever that looks like is what I would want to do. There's, you know, I think there's a big advantage in having tight ends and having linebackers and safety trying to cover. I think that uh, uh, the running game equalizes everything. If you can do that, it lets you have both. Um, and so the, the wideouts uh, for me are critical and they're critical down the field guys. Uh, so, and I want a slot receiver that can uh, do the same thing, things that things that uh, Devontae Smith can do. So, you know, that, that's what I want to do is get in and out of those things and have the hybrid tight ends that can do both, not just be blockers. Mm-hmm. So, get get a couple of Devontae Smiths in the slot. I will I will write that just down. Give me one. I just want one. Just that's one. Need. Just one. Coach, uh, are you playing this weekend at all? I am playing this weekend. So right. if the day ends in Y, I'm playing, Chris. Oh, good, good. Mom played uh, Falcon Nest. Does that sound right? The Air Force Base. I don't know where that is. Yeah, it's 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 it was sweet uh, when I played it, and she uh, it's over the Air Force Base, kind of by the uh, one of the mountain ranges. But it was oh sure f- flat out gorgeous. So hit them far and straight, and and best to you with finding uh, some of those additions to your golf bag. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you later. Take care, Coach. Appreciate you. Good stuff uh, from Coach Gary Barnett. Uh, Quick look at spring from him. 
and love that here. So uh, your, your wish list on offense, run the ball, get you a tight end, play action, RPO, and get uh, Devontae Smith-like in the slot. Done. We'll just, we'll just rubber stamp that thing. That's cool. Good mind, man. He is uh, fun to talk ball with. We'll hit some volleyball. Nebraska moving on. And uh, no rust for the Big Red and Coach Cook. We'll spend time with that with Brandon Vogel of HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Some spring football thoughts from Vogues as well. NFL draft props. Where does that Pitts pick end up? Danny Burke on the way. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Check out Gary Barnett. Uh, good thoughts on spring ball development and the offense he would go with. Ron Brown, last hour, we welcome in managing editor, HaleVarsity.com and magazine. Author with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. At Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Vogues, what'd you think here? Huskers sweet Texas State uh, takeaways. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good start. Um, you know, Texas State was a team that, well, this was its, I think, 40th match. So had had that edge on the, the rest of the tournament field just in, in how much they actually got to play. But but a pretty good offensive team that I thought could challenge Nebraska in some ways. And we've seen with the Huskers this year that they've had the tendency to start slow occasionally and didn't today. Um, kind of came out and controlled that match from, from start to finish. Matty Kubik and, and Jazz Sweet, two, two players that, that aren't, you know, their top attackers, both hit over 400. So it kind of looked like I think you'd hope a match could look like for a number five seed against an un- unseeded team. So. This was a lot of business as usual for me for for Nebraska, which I I didn't know if that would be the case going in. So we turn our attention to Baylor now and uh, some early feels on that that matchup. Yeah, uh, accomplished team, of course, one of the top two, well, probably the number two team in in the Big 12 behind Texas, uh, another well-known foe. For, for Nebraska and, and has one of the best players in the country, 2019 player of the year. So th- th- that'll be a, a tough out. Nebraska will have to play well to win that match. Um, Baylor got pushed to five sets by Pepperdine. Again, that was the second time this season that's happened. And I think that's, I think that's become, because Pepperdine's pretty good. You know, you have to be careful with those, those West Coast teams that may be in a smaller conference. Um, there's just a high level of high school volleyball out there. Those are those are talented teams. So I wasn't surprised to see the Bears see the Bears get pushed a little bit. Um, so it should be should be a good kind of regional semifinal matchup for Nebraska. But but I I, I like what I saw from the Huskers today. Brennan Vogel's with us. HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogel's going to switch gears to some college football. A thought on the the topic today has been you know the the official rubber stamping by the NCAA of the the one-time transfer rule. And while football coaches everywhere are are probably grumbling publicly and privately, they're going to have to adapt to it. And how do you see Nebraska continuing to to make this a positive? Well, I I, I think it'll be interesting for for Nebraska and really for anyone else um, of – coming up with a way to really attack that transfer portal. So it's sort of a 
second second at bat for recruiting really you know you'll have some guys that you make connections with that you feel pretty good with that for one reason or another might just end up at another school and with the the one time transfer rule i mean it's it's hard to see to me at least and we'll we'll see what ends up happening it's hard to see the transfer portal getting busier than it has been this off season now now maybe it will you know with a with a free pass for, for one year. You don't have to apply for a waiver. You know that you can play right away. But I, I don't tend to look at this as a kind of, oh, this is, this is a total game changer, as in things are, we're going to see a rapid rise in transfers. I think we'll see a slight rise. Um, so, so who are those teams? Like, what are you looking for in the portal besides just the best player available? Because all of the things you're worried about in recruiting – fit, um, kind of how a player is willing to adapt to a culture, all of those things still matter. And the coaches that get ahead on that front, I think are the ones that will have an advantage because they're going to have a lot to choose from. They have a lot to choose from right now in the transfer portal, more players than there are even spots for. So that part of it's not changing. Yeah, you're right. Coaches probably were gritting their teeth a little bit because you put so much time into recruiting those guys. and You probably will lose a couple more, but I don't view this as a sea change. A lot of other NCAA sports have dealt with this in the past, so football is just a little bit late getting to the party. Are you more willing to, to take a risk on a guy that, man – Plug him in in the slot, put him in uh, off the edge. I mean, and and it's not that it's not been done. It it has, but it was at the JUCO level, right? But now maybe you get extended years with a guy who, all right, did some good things at a Power Five, or man, he was wrecking shop at a Group of Five. We could really use him and project well. Uh, do, do you kind of refine your uh, your research on a dude, or do you? Do you just kind of go all in and say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll add him because on film the guy looks incredible and uh, we'll make it work? Uh, I mean, I think, I think you'll always have those instances. I mean, Samari Ture is yeah. kind of that guy for Nebraska right now. He just happens to be coming from FCS instead of, instead of junior college or, or a G5 program. So you're always going to have those immediate needs and – because they're immediate, you, you you have to do what you can to address them. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, for, for guys that are transferring in their freshman or after their freshman, sophomore, early in their careers, I think you'll see it be feel a little bit more like recruiting where you get the guy on campus, you have a conversation with them. Um, and, and, and that might be the best of both worlds because then you do get sort of a second chance at some guys that maybe you were interested in or guys that you had no affiliation with that, that proved themselves at, at a certain level. And, and now you're in the mix with them. Um, but there, there are, there's always going to be some guys where you're just like, yep, this guy's clearly a player. Everybody wants him, And we have a need for a slot receiver tomorrow. So <laughs> we're going to go. We're going to give that a chance. Brennan Vogels with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor. His book, Dream Like a Champion, with John Cook at Brandon L. Vogel. It's where you follow him. So Saturday will do what for you? What are you wanting to see with this open practice? Or is it just the, the fact that there is an open practice? You're not going to put too much weight on it. 
Yeah, I think the the fact that there is one is is probably the biggest note here. You know, Nebraska didn't have to do that. Um, there's the chance for for recruits as long as they're willing to voluntarily get there um, to at least get in the stadium and potentially see uh, a program that they're interested in. So so that factors in as well. But it was kind of a you know a gift to the fans, and, and I'm glad that the the Huskers are doing it. I think any time in the spring, what I'm most looking for is a section of open play. Like, let's just see the guys play. And, and you can usually tell the most from that. Like, you know, so much of, of spring football is, is filtered, of course, because we don't see much of it. Nobody sees much of it beyond the spring game. And so here's a chance to see a little bit more. And, you know, I hope some of that includes, like, hey, let's, let's run a 60-play scrimmage. Let's just let guys get out there and – and make plays because I think you can usually tell the most from that. It's, it's hard, you know, when you're watching drills to know exactly what the players are being asked to do, exactly what the coaches are being or are looking for in those scenarios. So anytime it just looks like, uh, looks like football to borrow a Mike Riley phrase, <laughs> phrase I guess, uh, it's usually the best. Vogues, uh, when it comes to the running back spot, you know, it sounds like Gabe Irvin's adapted well. You've got uh, Marvin Scott that's here, and then we'll see Saturday and beyond what the rest of the depth looks like. Are you concerned about the running back spot, or do you think it can shake out okay between now and and kickoff uh, against the pig farmer? (laughs) I I think it can. I think it can shake out okay. Um, There's still a lot of time, and honestly, I don't. I don't expect a lot of that to be to feel that settled. Even after the spring game, especially with with Marquis Step being out, you know, I think he's somebody that we all think factors into that race pretty heavily. So, you know, somebody's gonna gonna take, get get some gains here in the spring, and, and that's good. Um, you got another guy then Step who will basically be available for for summer workouts and, and fall camp, and, and you'll kind of go from there. Um, you know. It's hard to know. Like, I, I think every team would love to have a guy where, like, we just give him the ball as much as possible because he's clearly the best. But, but for this offense in particular, you know, I can see a scenario where it's, it's three, four guys and it feels pretty interchangeable. And if the offense as a whole is, is operating at a high level, that probably works pretty well for you. And, and, I mean, it probably gets you its benefits down the road, too, because you, you get to worry a little bit less about attrition if, you know, three, four guys all have multiple touchdowns on the year. Um, you, you don't have that thousand yard rusher, but if everybody, everybody's at 300 or above, uh, you can keep a lot of guys happy that way. What's your read on, on all the, the words on Adrian here so far this spring? My look is this. It's positive. Yes, there's hope. Yes, there's spring. That's That all fits together, but this isn't just, you know, coaches, and it's been multiple coaches talking about Adrian and kind of a new Adrian, but some of his peers have, have kind of piped up about just what he's doing. They've been asked, but the answers have been pretty glowing. Yeah, they have been. It's been an encouraging spring for him so far. I think the, the piece that I'm most interested, interested to see is success in the, the downfield passing game part of it. Um, you know, to, to hear this week that he's, he's even more accurate than he has been is good. 
but he was pretty accurate last year. He completed over 70, 70% of his passes. And now that came with, and for whatever reason this may be, um, wide receiver depth, I think, had a lot to do with it. That came with, with Nebraska not really taking a lot of shots downfield. And, and when you do that, like your, your completion percentage may go down. Um, they call them 50-50 balls for, for a reason, right? But if, if you can hit more of those plays, I think that exchange is worth it for Nebraska's offense as a whole. So is that accuracy, does it feel like there's more accuracy there? Does it feel like Nebraska's more capable of hitting those shots down the field? Because as I look at 2021, I think that's really the, the one ingredient this offense has to have. To, to take some real steps this coming season. Well, and think about it. It's not just being willing to, to go downtown, yep. make it a priority, but you, you hit one of those, it's a touchdown, it's a big play, you're in scoring position too. There's not 400 guys lined up against your running back and your offensive oh. line. I mean, it opens things up. So it's uh, dual, dually important to, to be able to, to make that happen. Vogues, it's always awesome to chat with you. We will bother you again Saturday morning for the weekend edition is we'll uh, have some more uh, spring football thoughts from you thanks for your time today thank you thank all you. right there he is Brandon Vogel at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter some thoughts on Baylor reaction to Nebraska's opening round win and looking at uh, that downfield passing attack Burke's best bets daddy Burke some NFL news on the way with Hale varsity He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on AFR City Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Thanks for hanging out. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We uh, head up to Chicago. The pride of Chicago is Danny Burke with VEASAN Sports Network. At Danny Burke 5 on Twitter is where you find him. His show Rush Hour, uh, weeknight 6 to 7 Central, uh, all over the uh, great country of the United States and also on iHeart. Uh, Danny, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good, Schmitty. I'm uh, excited for some of the action tonight. And, and hey, even the NFL draft, we've been covering that on the show as of late. So uh, a couple of props that I've circled out so far. I've only played one, but excited to get into it. Well, we'll get to some Major League Baseball and some some NBA shortly. But I want to start with the NFL draft just because there's so much information and misinformation out there. Uh, And this is uh, everyone's keyed in on the quarterbacks, of course. And, you know, what are you looking at here? What are you analyzing with the draft? And not only uh, with your thoughts and prayers for your Chicago Bears, but uh, just some of the, uh, well, the opportunities there to make some money out there with the draft. The one that has stuck out to me the most in terms of a play is Kyle Pitts and where he's going to be drafted, Schmitty. Now, there's two different kind of bets that I've circled out, but the one that I did pull the trigger on was his draft position, which is set at five and a half. And it's pretty much a pick em each way. And there was another one where it was first non-quarterback to be drafted. And him and Sewell were at about plus 150. Now you're seeing Pitts at plus 125. I like Pitts at plus 150. But more importantly, I took the under 5.5 at about minus 112. Because, look, I mean, you know, the Jags, Jets, 49ers, presumably all going to be drafting quarterbacks. Then it comes down to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I know there's some suspicion that the Falcons could get a quarterback if Fields were to fall to them, Trey Lance, whoever it may be. But, Schmitty, realistically, in my opinion, I mean, you still get Matt Ryan through about 2024, and I still think he can be a solid enough quarterback 
to make a playoff run. He just still needs weapons offensively and, more importantly, needs that defense to step up. So how could you not take Kyle Pitts in that spot? This guy has the potential to be the most lethal player in this draft, even more so than some of these quarterbacks, because you don't know how they're going to pan out. But just based on the athleticism and size and durability and, and really all he can do, I think Kyle Pitts is the best offensive threat in this draft. So if I'm the Falcons, I would select him there. And if for some reason they don't, then, of course, the big question mark is what are the Bengals going to do? There's a lot of speculation that they could get Jamar Chase to reunite Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But, look, what do they need desperately? They don't really need a receiver. It would help if you still have Boyd and you still have Higgins. More importantly, you need an offensive lineman. So, realistically, the Bengals should get Sewell when it comes to that fifth pick. That's what I would do personally if I was Cincinnati because he might not even have a receiver to throw to because there won't be any protection from Burrow, which unfortunately happened this past season. So I've been honing in on Kyle Pitts, and I like him under five and a half. Pitts is interesting to me, and I look at what, what Matty Ice has, and you're so right, because you, you still got uh, Matty for a couple of years. And in, in all honesty, too, with, uh, with Atlanta, I mean, the, the, the team is, is not that far removed from greatness. Now, I know that the, the coaching staff's been kind of dismantled since, but they picked up Gurley, right? They've got Ridley, Julio, and, and then you add Pitts to that. I mean, you're up to a, a lethal combination of, of offense again. And if I'm Burrow, I'd love to go get Pitts as well. Sewell's the obvious call there or some sort of tackle to, to go opposite Riley Reef. But, man, that, that's so intriguing here with, with where Pitts lands. Yeah, because, I mean, and even if the Falcons don't get him, who's to say that the Bengals won't snag him at number five over Jamar Chase, too? That's a good point. Pitts is so intriguing size, and, and he's that flex uh, opportunity. Who, who else are you looking at? What else do you like in the draft here? So I was looking at some of the receivers, and Devontae Smith, 11.5 is his draft position, but that gets dicey based on what the Lions are going to do. Uh, if they're going to try to replace Galladay and then naturally the New York Giants because you're assuming the Eagles are going to get a receiver at 12. But one that we talked about yesterday and obviously a familiar face in the Big Ten is Micah Parsons. Now, I believe he was also at 11.5, and, and I would probably look over because – you know, the first defensive player to be drafted, the favorite is Sertan, and he's at about plus 120. Then I believe Parsons is at about 2-1. to one. And then the uh, defensive end out of Michigan, I'm forgetting his name for a second. But, you know, I think Parsons probably falls a little bit, and I would think he gets picked after 11. That would be my assumption because the Cowboys, you can get Diggs and Sertan, the two Alabama boys, paired mm-hmm. up together at number 10. So I would probably think that would be the move and would have Sertan being the first guy drafted. And then also, more importantly, I would like – Parsons over an 11 and a half but what about you do you think he falls a little bit Parsons was supposed to be a top five guy and his workout was just absolutely filthy I mean it was incredible with his size and speed he's a tackling machine what I want to see is is he a guy that that can develop into more of a a pass rush guy. And it's not that he didn't do that at Penn State, but his his sack numbers aren't like Lawrence Taylor-esque, right? right? Or they're, they're more just make the tackle, cover in space, give me a TFL. But they didn't blitz him a lot, or at least he didn't get home a lot. He was he was incredible when he played, but that's where I'm at with him. I think Parsons is, is an incredible uh, specimen, and I'd look at him. And, yeah, I, I, I would pull the trigger on him, but I think he slides. I think that you got a lot of spots. You've got quarterback questions. 
and and then you've got the pitch factor, and I think that's kind of moved him back. And then corners are so premium because it's so pass-heavy in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So a guy like Sertain, absolutely, not only with his bloodlines, but also what he did at Bama. Guys in Bama, if, you know, coming from Bama, the only it's not can they make the, the jump to the NFL, yes. It's the question of how many miles they got on the odometer because, uh, you know, it's a pretty physical regiment with their uh, – they're camped down there at Alabama. What are they coming into the league like health-wise? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you take a guy, for example, like an Eddie Jackson who made an impact right away with Chicago. And, you know, it's not that he's necessarily regressed, but he just had such a dominant year that was almost a statistical anomaly that people are starting to say, oh, what's happening to Eddie Jackson? But, no, you're right. And, and that's why I think that him and Diggs paired up and, with Dallas would be a great addition. But the thing about Jerry Jones-Smitty is you never know if he's going to snag a receiver again, even though they already have a pretty healthy offense. It wouldn't surprise me, but I do think Dallas needs to invest in that defense. They do, and we'll see if if they go pass rush. I know that you know Randy Gregory, our guy, has had uh, off the field issues with his career, but when he's on, he's he's pretty good. They're trying to get healthy on the defensive side. They need a a corner to step up, and that's probably where they'll look. But but Jerry loves his toys, man. He loves his offense, mm-hmm. and that's always you know the, the 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 two sons do a great job at keeping the old man out of out of the draft room and and pushing the uh, the. The, the pick to the commissioner. They take his phone from him, I would bet, you know. Uh, no, Dad, we, we got this one. This is what we need. This is what we need on offense or defense. Don't don't go with uh, your your heart. Uh, go with your head on this. Danny Burke's with us, Pride of Chicago. Uh, Burke's best bets. Talking some NFL draft props and positioning. Danny, real quick, a thought on some Major League Baseball tonight. Yeah, I'm looking at the A's and Tiger game. I played Oakland here. Now, I know Oakland got out to a very sluggish start, but they're playing this Tigers team that is coming off a nice little win streak here. They played Houston last night and won 6-4, to four, but the A's themselves are on a four-game win streak. Big line movement in favor of Oakland, about minus 155 is where they opened. It's as high as 170-ish in some spots. Now, I know this is a steep price delay. I laid about minus 167, but look, it's two lefties going up against each other. Eight so far have an 828 OPS versus Southpaws, which is sixth best in the majors. And then Detroit is a 511 OPS against lefties, which is dead last. I like Oakland in the mojo they got going right now. And I like who they got on the bump, so I'm looking to take the A's. Laid enough to do it, and if you don't feel comfortable doing that, I would just have them with the run line for a little bit of plus money, too. Danny Burke with us, Pride of Chicago, Burke's Best Bets. Danny, thanks for the time today. You bet you, Schmitty. We'll catch up next week. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, going to want to check this show out, uh, load it up from start to finish, and find us on the podcast, hailvarsity.com, and uh, platforms to check us out. Subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review, good, bad, or ugly. We'll take it happily. Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play, Hail Varsity Radio. So, a reminder to buckle up. 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt if Used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. So uh, on Facebook, they've got a, a list here, and I could not scroll through it 
in its entirety, but they had uh, the top 100 movies of the 2000s. And Knocked Up is kind of profiled there with Steve Carell. Make that 40-year-old virgin. Forgive me. I blur them both, right? But Wedding Crashers, I think, came in at like 81. Uh, I'm, I'm big on Training Day. I think that was fantastic. Uh, no Country for Old Men is there for me. Uh, is there a is there a favor that comes to mind for you, Damon Barr? Well, on the top of my list, I know this isn't a uh, quite a film critics list, but a Hot Rod, Andy Samberg, <laughs> no, uh, no. my favorite film of all time. So that's my number one. Carson loves bench warmers. <laughs> how, how he's allergic to sunlight, and and like I I laugh so hard. Where, you know, the Napoleon Dynamite character had used the porta potty and somebody like opened it right after he'd got done using it and the guy like puked all over. <laughs> and the Napoleon Dynamite character goes, Sorry. <laughs> that was pretty good. I mean, Bench Warmers is is like underrated and 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 sweet. And I gotta thank my kid for checking that out. But you know, 40-year-old virgin and knocked up. They were good, but I don't my brother my brother loved Super Bad, Bad Santa. Him and I saw that uh during the holidays. That was quality. We didn't take mom with us there. The Jackass movie was pretty funny. That's almost 20 years old. But the only the hot what was so awesome about Hot Rod? It's just so stupid, man. It's like, it's like the original. <laughs> it's like the Adam Sandler genre. It's exactly that. Right? Like it's just I, I found it hilarious as a kid. I look back on it, still find it hilarious. Just says a lot about my sense of humor. Same, I think ex- exactly. Uh, Road to Perdition was awesome. I mean, Step that's Brothers. Kind of, Step Brothers is great. Step Brothers is like top five. Because it's it's so good, you know. And it's Shark Week. This place is a prison, right? So I'm scrolling down to, to number one, and, and you know what's going to happen by the time I get to the top ten. Either a the show's going to be over, or b there'll be some sort of disaster here on my phone. Uh, you had some of the the uh, what's the with Woody and the Toy Story. Those were good. We got a kick out of those. Never saw Mean Girls. Didn't hate Royal Tannenbaums, but it was just kind of an odd sense of humor. Not up my alley. Tomorrow, Rick Pizzo with us. Dr. Petey joins the show. The Pride of Fairbury, Bill Dolman. Thanks for tuning in to Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.